Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What do you really think about financial advisors? And what do they have to say about you? This week, we've devoted the FT Money Show podcast to examining the changing relationship between financial advisors and their clients. I'm Claire Barrett, editor of FT Money. Over the past month, more than 300 of you have bared your financial souls to us, completing FT Money's detailed online survey about financial advice, covering what you most want to ask an advisor for help with, and also what you love and hate about the advice profession. We've also heard from more than 40 advice professionals who have revealed the top topics of conversation they're having with their clients and, wait for it, the pieces of advice that their clients are the least likely to heed. All will be revealed by FT Money reporter Niku Askari later in this podcast. I'm also joined by Emma Ann Hughes, the editor of FT Advisor, the FT's specialist publication for, well, you can probably guess, financial advisors. This week, Financial Advisor is revealing its top 100 ranking of the best advisors in Britain. Has your advisor made the cut? And last but not least, we couldn't make a podcast about financial advisors without actually letting one appear on The Money Show. Alistair Fullerton, a founding partner of Lathe & Co, impressed us with his take on how the market for advice firms is changing. So we've invited him to speak about why, like many in his profession, he doesn't see robo-advisors as a threat and why all his clients want to speak to him urgently about, guess what, Brexit. So now that the studio doors have been firmly locked, nobody can escape. Let's start with the juiciest part of our reader research. Niku, the things that readers told us they love and hate about financial advisors. What are the top lines from the research, please? What they love, overwhelmingly, is the three T's. Transparency, trust and tailored advice. Transparency of both fees and knowledge and independent um, products that they're being sold trust of the competence that the advisors know what they're doing and tailored advice um, that the advisors understand their personal circumstances, understand what they want for their family and their future goals and tailoring their investments and their financial planning for them specifically. So a whole market picture. Now, quite a few readers... This was a very detailed survey where people could give us lots of extra information. Um, quite a few readers were, were disparaging about the restricted advice model, whereby an advisor can only recommend a limited selection of investment products, typically the range belonging to the asset manager who perhaps owns them. And that's something we're going to ask Emma Hughes about in more detail later on. But Nikki, readers also had something to say 
about the dress sense of some financial yep. advisors. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, one reader said that they would never trust an advisor who wears an Hermes tie or a chunky gold watch. And there were quite a few comments about flashy offices and sports cars. One said that they hate the fat cat lifestyle. Um, and all of these just um, indicated arrogance and the wrong values advisors have, indicating also that they are charging too high fees, which you know, <laughs> clients clearly hate. <laughs> What else, Nikki, did readers tell you that they really hated about financial advisors? Readers really hated lack of transparency um, in terms of fees, especially. A lot of them don't know how much they're paying mm. um, and want to be paying pounds, not percentages. Um, they'd rather be paying a fixed fee for, say, an hour or two hours of investment advice rather than paying a percentage for their assets under management because that comes that becomes a lot of money for people who have a lot of assets being managed. Um, and also, readers really hated being sold to, being pushed products that are not right for them, sort of off-the-shelf approach of um, products that advisors are just trying to sell because of their restricted advice model. Well, w- again, we'll ask Emma to give her thoughts on those things in a second. But, Nikki, before we do that, you've compiled a top 10 list of the areas that FT Money readers said they would be most likely to ask a financial advisor about. Tell us what's number one. Number one, overwhelmingly, is pensions and retirement planning. Um, we had questions, I trawled through 400 responses, questions ranging from, am I going to be okay? Can I afford to retire? To more complicated questions about what happens if you're going to breach the lifetime allowance, um, how to manage a pension drawdown. Everything surrounding pensions and retirement planning was the top. And in fact, in the top 10, there were three um, areas about pensions that people wanted to talk about. Pensions and retirement planning in general being number one. But at number nine, pensions drawdown. These are the products that have been increasingly um, more popular since the free were introduced in 2015 and at number 10 pensions transfer with many readers saying in their more detailed answers that they wanted to transfer a final salary pension now we're going to talk about a couple of um, the areas um, with with Alistair later on namely number three um, which was Brexit (laughs) (laughs) and that is something that obviously we're all very worried about um, in the money office at the moment in the build-up to the vote next week but number two was tax planning Yeah, managing um, your finances tax efficiently, how to make the most of all the tax allowances. One advisor I spoke to actually said that 95% of his clients aren't using all of the tax allowances available to them. Um, So readers are really looking for advice on how to manage their money in the most tax efficient way. Well, we'll talk a bit more to Alistair Fullerton from Lathe Co about some of those issues from the advisor's side of the table in a second. But before we do that, allow me to welcome Emma Ann Hughes, the editor of FT Advisor. Now, Emma, your readers are financial advisors. How do you think they would respond to some of the criticisms about the way fees are charged? Well, um, there's been criticism of the way advisors have been um, paid since I'm pretty sure that dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, The previous um, financial services regulator um, had um, looked into um, whether or not advisors were pushing investments that paid the most commission and no conclusive evidence could actually be found that that was a common practice. However, in 2012, they introduced new rules that dictated the way that advisors should be um, paid by their clients. Um, Now, advisors are supposed to agree in advance with their clients how they'll be paid for their services. Um, Despite this, um, data from the regulator that was published last year showed that 8 out of 10 advisors still get paid by their product provider taking money out of the client's investment. 
So a few um, conclusions could be drawn from that, mm. but it does suggest that while FT readers may prefer to know a financial sum they are paying for the wise words of a financial advisor and write a cheque in advance, most people are still opting for cash to be deducted from their investment pots and are using that to pay their advisor. Um, advisors obviously seem to be quite happy with that, and um, while you could argue that obviously therefore they benefit more from um, kind of like larger pots another way of looking at it I suppose is the better fund they recommend performs the more cash they're likely to receive as a result so it kind of incentivizes them to make sure that they're picking out the best investment funds. Yeah, that's true there are both ways of, of looking at it I'd also add to that the business model where you're taking um, a regular fee from all of your clients is going to be a lot more attractive for for somebody running running a business, particularly if it's a smaller firm. But that's just one of the ways that the financial advice profession is changing. But how FT Advisor is ranking and measuring the success of its top 100 advisors has also changed quite a lot this year. Yes. Um, so our list this year uses data that's pulled together by our research partner, Strategic Insight. And we feel it gives a real um, snapshot of some of the best intermediaries that are working in the UK today. So our list differs from rankings that we've produced in the past, which used to be purely based on sales. Now the list looks at other factors that we find and your research has found are key to investors who want are looking for the best person to help them out with their finances. This year we've looked at growth rate of the advisory businesses, the number of years of experience each business has managing assets in different economic and interest rate environments, and how highly qualified some of the advisors are. We've also brought a range of factors into play because also we don't people don't want to just look at a list that shows the biggest financial advisory companies no. in the country. They want to look at um, the quality of a business isn't just reflected by how much new cash it's bringing in and therefore how many advisors it's got out there advising clients. So we feel um, by using a range of factors, our list basically gives a useful indication of some of the best investment advice companies that are currently out there assisting clients. Now, I can't tell you on the podcast who has come top. That will be revealed later on Thursday morning when FT Advisor publishes its top 100 list online. And FT Money will also be publishing the full results on our website, ft.com slash money on Friday morning. And the full breakdown will be in the FT Money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. However, Emma, can you tell our listeners more about what restricted advice is as a high percentage around a third of those who responded to our survey didn't actually know what it was well amusingly the term restricted and independent was defined by the regulator to try and give greater clarity to clients so that <laughs> they knew what advice they were getting however that clearly hasn't worked um basically um restricted advice was defined by the regulator as a personal recommendation about a retail investment product which is not independent advice which leads us on to what is independent advice. So basically, an advisor is independent or a firm can say that it gives independent advice if it's able to advise and sell products from any provider right across the market. Um, therefore, a lot of firms that many people may actually feel do give independent advice have to call themselves restricted just because they can't say that they're they don't feel confident that they can say that they're looking at every single product that is out there and available in the market at the moment. So, for example, Hargreaves Lansdowne, which I can confirm does feature in the top 100 financial advisors list, um, hit the headlines in 2015 when it announced that it was going to be restricted. This doesn't mean that it's only recommending um, investment products from, say, a couple of firms or has any ownership from asset management houses. It basically means that they 
did not feel confident using the term independent because they can't claim that they're looking at every single product that is available as of this date in 2018. Well, thank you very much, Emma, for that very clear definition of um, what readers can expect. I'm now going to introduce our third and final guest, who I'm relieved to say is not wearing an Hermes tie. <laughs> He's wearing a zip-up top. Um, Alistair Fullerton, a founding partner of Lathe & Co., which is an advisory boutique in the City of London. And although our, our listeners can't see you, Alistair, you're quite young to be a financial advisor, and lots of, lots of your clients are also quite young too. Yeah, that's true. As a as a firm, I think we're firmly below the uh, the average age of advisors. Um, it's probably we fell into the industry, if we're probably completely honest, at, at, after university, um, and have decided that this is the career for us and this is what we're going to work at. Yeah. Now, you and your fellow partners established your firm, Lays, which is actually named after the initials of your names: yep. Laura, Alistair, Tom, Hayden. And an E because it didn't work without an E. So we future-proofed that and said that for everybody else. So in you're, the you're, you're ne- your next partner will have to be called Elizabeth or Eric. Yeah. Um, but you established this firm to offer something different. So naturally, I want to ask you what you felt was lacking about the advice profession. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me on the show as well. Um, we founded Lathan Co because we felt there was a gap in the market for a, a truly service-led and more technology-focused advice firm compared to um, the other advice firms that we worked in previously. Um, having worked in the industry and grown up in the industry, we grew frustrated with the lack of appetite for innovation from advisors. And there was more, more than most advisors are, are too happy to just do the same for their clients. So if we put ourselves in client's shoes, if I was a client looking for a good advisor, I would be looking for someone who wouldn't take the status quo as the status quo and go out and look for a better way of doing things and not take everything for granted. And the sort of age profile of your clients is also determining the kind of things that you um, are helping them with. Yeah, definitely. Um, we get we get asked questions about all all elements of, of life. I think age profile, but also where we are in the world with technology is so much and information is so much more readily available than it perhaps was even 10 or 15 years ago now. Um, what we've seen certainly with the take-up of social media, with the take-up of people reading the Financial Times, for instance, via the app rather than the big broadsheets, um, there's much more demand for instant information. So the types of relationship that we have with clients has really evolved since we started in the industry even um, to where it used to be the traditional look at the terms of business you see us twice a year and and not much happens and not much communication happens in between that too nowadays people are clients are on whatsapp with us they want they send you an answer send you a question you send them an answer it's a lot more of a fluid relationship than it used to be and i can see that continuing as the next generation of of clients sort of comes to to people for advice Certainly. Nodding from from Emma, we'll come back to you on that point in a second. But as I promised earlier, FT Money also asked advisors who responded to our survey to tell us what their clients were most likely to be asking them. So, Alistair, I'm going to run through the top 10 um, and ask you if it tallies with your own experiences. So, as Nuku said, at number one, pensions and retirement planning. But at number two, Brexit. And number three, tax planning. Now, the top three tally with what readers said their concerns were too. Is that what you're hearing reflected from your 
Yeah, class. absolutely. Um, all 10 points, in fact, I can vividly remember lots of conversations with clients in, in all walks of life about all 10 points in there. Um, and it's no surprise at all that pensions and retirement planning are at the top. I, uh, we did our business mix as a, as a firm not long ago, and it, we tallied up that about 70% of all our business is based around giving people pensions and retirement advice. And I think it's, it's as a result of all the, the tinkering with legislation has just left people confused and frustrated more than anything. Um, and pensions and retirement planning is a huge part of people's life and they deservedly want to know what they've got and if it's been affected by any recent legislation changes and if they're heading in the right direction. So um, before I reveal some more of the top 10, Brexit. Now, this is something that your phones are ringing off the hook about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brexit in its own right. Um, on those points, it's Brexit and the, the tax planning Perhaps I go so far as to say with the pension planning that they're up there because they're often mentioned in the same breath as mm. how does Brexit affect my pension planning with all the new rules around pensions and drawdown? Um, how does that affect my tax planning? But Brexit certainly in its own right is a huge issue that everybody knows nothing about, it, it appears. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's that sums it up for our relationship with Brexit and our clients because it's frustrating for us as advisors because people come to us for answers and it's our job to, to try and guide them through this what can be a confusing landscape. But the big problem with Brexit, there's so much up in the air, it's it's very difficult to give any any form of answer. Well, in a case of, of prepare for the worst and hope for the best, um, I think in many cases, lots of our readers certainly told us they're worried about the possibility of a general election and maybe a Labour government coming to power, which would result in higher taxes for them. But I think, personally, they're probably going to be hit with higher taxes anyway, one way or another, mm-hmm. which makes sense with the questions that readers say they most want to discuss with advisors, tax planning obviously up there, but also inheritance tax, named specifically the impact of recent market volatility, which again links to Brexit, although it's not entirely um, caused by that, the level of investment returns and growth that they're receiving, although interestingly that was quite a far way down the the list. Um, Talking about fees was a big concern, how much they're being charged, which ties in with our other discussion. And then one that I really liked, am I doing the right thing? really wanting to get a sense that compared to their financial peers, they're taking similar actions. Yeah, absolutely. I think as advisors, we're in quite a unique position to have a bird's eye view over people, people's inner plans that being British, it's uh, the stiff upper lip doesn't often share those types of inner plans and where they are in, in life and any mo- money worries that people have. It's often quite a close guarded part of people's lives. So um, people, yeah, it's not uncommon that people ask us, say it right, based on where I am in life am I ahead of the curve am I behind the curve people want look to us for a bit of reassurance that whilst there may be some way to go they are still on track and 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 are not falling behind the pack well something that consistently came up in the research was how much clients and advisors value face-to-face meetings so much so um, that when Nuku asked advisors if they were worried about robo advice presenting any kind of threat to their business model over 70% of advisors were confident enough to say no Alistair are you among that number 
I have to admit that I am among that number, but that is not to say that I don't recognise that technology will benefit the industry. Um, I think robo-advice has been beneficial for the industry and there's been a bigger uptake from younger savers because it's it's lowered the barrier to entry for them. Um, however, when we've studied robo-advice as a potential threat for our business, what we've looked at from the published numbers, that is, is they seem to get stuck at a sort of an average asset under management per client of somewhere in the region of maybe twenty-five to £35,000, which says to us from, from looking at that that there's something holding people back from giving and, and trusting robo-advisors with large portions of money. Um, and a, my personal opinion on that is that a large part of our job as advisors, on top of the technical advising element, is to act as a sort of giving people comfort and reassurance. And that's something that perhaps robo-advisors fall short on um, and maybe can't compete with. If someone asks a question, to be able to look them in the eye and give them an honest opinion um, goes a long way. Um, and that's actually, you can see if you look at a lot of the robo-advice firms at the moment, they're almost retrofitting human mm. advice arms and sort of call centres with qualified advisors to answer those questions. So it seems like something they've recognised. And Emma-Ann Hughes from FT Advisor, I'm going to bring you in at this point. Are your readers similarly unperturbed by the rise of robo? Yes, um, as Alistair touched on, there's a lot of robo-advisors who launched with a pure technology proposition who are now adding human advisors because while people may be um, happy to kind of answer multi-questions and be fed through an algorithm and um, have a um, portfolio of investments suggested to them, when they look at it, they then have that moment of doubt and really the computer can't hold your hand at that moment or look you in the eye and say, well, what are you, you know, so what are you doing this for? Will you sleep well at night if X, Y, Z happens? And that's something only a human can do. So it is the rise of the robos, but I think the human advisors will still continue to thrive and do well off the back of this. Well, I'm going to come to Niku for the last question. We asked financial advisors to tell us the piece of advice that their clients were the least likely to take on board. So um, before I reveal the answers, actually, I'm going to ask Alistair, how would you answer this question? That's a funny one. There's there's probably lots of things that we have conversations with clients that they decide to um, passively ignore. Is probably the pl- polite way of putting it. Um, it to, my guess would be it's often what they view as the smaller elements of the plan. So perhaps things around a, a will or any personal insurance that they see as the the bells and whistles when compared to the bigger picture plans or forward planning like paying off a mortgage or retirement planning. It's harder for them to see the benefit of the smaller plans because ultimately they, they only come to fruition if something bad goes goes wrong. Mm, well, Niku, can you reveal the answers? What were the things that advisors said their clients were the most likely to ignore? I agree with Alistair, actually, that um, a lot of the advice that clients were ignoring was making a will or a lasting power of attorney and also paying more into their pension. People were less willing to do that, it seems. Yes. In fact, several mentioned the tangibility of both mortgage um, payments, the desire to pay it down and get rid of it, but also buy-to-let property. Lots of advisors telling us that their clients were expecting to get much greater income in retirement from their buy-to-let portfolio than the recent tax changes would necessarily allow. So quite a lot of education going on there. Um, Emma, does that surprise you? 
Um, not particularly. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that advisors have had over the last year is insistent clients who have been raised on a solid diet of property programmes on various um, UK television channels um, and therefore think property is king. Um, so a difficult job for the financial advisor is educating people. They've also had the challenge of pension freedoms and the fact that they've got clients coming to them who believe that they can now just drag money out of their pensions and, and some of them even quite annoyed that they've got to speak to an advisor in order to necessarily get their hands on that pot. But um, So yes, one of the kind of challenges for financial advisors is sometimes having to deal with the fact that people come in with very much preconceived notions of what is best for them to do with their money. And sometimes it's the tricky job for a financial advisor to explain, no, that may not be the best course for you. Well, one final thought from me to share with you at the end of our podcast. Many advisors said that the advice that their clients failed to take on board was an instruction to spend more money, particularly for older clients who built up large portfolios, large pension pots over the years and were just in the habit of saving too much. And advisors wanted to liberate them into maybe buying a holiday or spending some money on some nice Christmas presents for their families. So a bit of positive uh, advice on which to end the podcast with. But thanks very much to our three guests, Alistair Fullerton, co-founder of the advisory firm Lathe & Co, Emma-Ann Hughes, the editor of FT Advisor, and of course, Niku Asgari, the FT Money reporter who did all of the hard work coordinating all of your replies on questionnaires. And thank you again to all of the readers who took part in this very insightful research. Now, you can read all about this in the FT Money section online and in the newspaper this weekend. Go to ft.com slash money from Friday morning to read the full suite of articles or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at FT Money. Or if you want to comment on our discussion today, you can get in touch by emailing us money at ft.com. To remind you, the full results of the FT Advisor Top 100 list of financial advisors will be published online in the FT Money section this Friday. You'll be able to access the link via ft.com slash money and read all about our research there too. Our podcast today was edited by Lucy Warwick-Ching and we'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.